John chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 15. Riding out life's storms. When the fishing crew of the Andrea Gale departed from Gloucester Harbor in Massachusetts on September the 20th, 1991, no one could have known that that would have been their last expedition. Author Sebastian Junger and Hollywood filmmakers have immortalized the fate of the Andrea Gale with an interesting title from meteorology called The Perfect Storm. Maybe you read the book or you saw the movie. You and I would call a perfect storm a worst-case scenario. And in the case of the Andrea Gale, it was the simultaneous convergence of some of the toughest weather conditions possible. In fact, there were three deadly elements that came together in October of 1991 to create that perfect storm. There was a front moving from Canada towards New England. There was a high-pressure system building over the northeast. And then the coup de grace, the dying remnants of Hurricane Grace, a Category 2 storm that was churning up the eastern seaboard of the United States. When those three elements came together, when they converged, they created the perfect storm. The dangerous weather patterns came upon the Andrea Gale with terrible fury, and reports of that storm caused waves measuring ten stories high. The last radio transmission of Captain Billy Tyne came at 6 o'clock p.m. on October the 28th, 1991. He reported the coordinates of their fishing vessel, and then he said this, quote, she's coming on, boys, and she's coming on strong. Now, at some point, everyone has had their boat tossed around by the storm of life. And it happens to you much in the same way that it did to the crew of the Andrea Gale, a, a convergence, a perfect storm. It might happen like this. First, you lose your job. And then one of your children gets sick, and on the way to take them to the doctor's office, the car breaks down. They come in twos and threes, don't they? And then as you pull out your phone to call for a wrecker, the battery dies. That would be an example of a perfect storm. Sometimes it feels like you are in one of Hank Williams' country music songs. <laughs> for those of you who aren't country western fans, that doesn't resonate with you. But do you know what happens when you play a country song backwards? So the joke goes. Well, when you play a country song backwards, the singer gets his truck back, the hound dog lives, his girlfriend doesn't leave him for another cowboy. <laughs> and sometimes it feels like when you're in that perfect storm, everything is stacked against you. That's what the fifth sign of John's gospel is all about. It's a perfect storm. The disciples find themselves in the greatest trial that they had faced in their fishing career, despite their experience of being on the Sea of Galilee. The storm that they run into here in John chapter 6 is the biggest and nastiest thing they have ever seen. And worst of all, Jesus wasn't on board this time. Now don't get this story confused with the one from the Gospel of Mark chapter 4 where Jesus is asleep in the bow of the boat and He steps out to calm the storm. That's a different occasion. 
This time Jesus isn't on board. Now, you'll remember that John's gospel is built around the sign miracles. And in each one of these sign miracles that we have studied thus far, we have seen that they each address a different need that we face in life. For example, in that first sign, when Jesus turns the water into wine, that's Jesus dealing with our disappointments. When he heals the nobleman's son, that's Jesus confronting our doubts. When we come to the third sign, when chapter 5, when Jesus uh, makes the lame man walk, that's Jesus taking care of our disabilities. When he fed the 5,000, as we saw a couple weeks ago, that's how Jesus meets our desires. He is the bread of life. Then today, as we come to the latter part of John 6, we see him coming on the water, walking there through the storm, and there we learn Jesus attends to us in our dangers. So the question before us is this, how do we survive through the storms of life? And I believe that this text, this classic story that we all know well from Sunday school and vacation Bible school is going to teach us some anchoring points in life when the waves get angry and when the winds pick up a fight, how do we ride out the storms of life? Well, there's four timeless truths here that I want you to see. Number one is this. In storms, we are growing by His providence. In storms, we are growing by His providence. Let's back up a few verses. John chapter 6. Look what it says in verse 13. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Verse 16, And when the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had not come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. We'll stop right there. In storms, we are growing by His providence. We backed up and we got a little context to see where this miracle occurred. This is just after Jesus feeding the 5,000. The disciples then board a boat. Their stomachs are full. They have doggy baskets with them. They just witnessed one of the greatest miracles that Jesus would perform in his ministry. And friend, here's the first thing that I learned from reading this text again. Based on my experience, do you know that we are most susceptible to storms just after a mountaintop experience? I mean, how do you top feeding of the 5,000? They were riding high. They had seen the power and the providence of Jesus. They had full stomachs. They had a a glorious story to tell. And yet, immediately after that, they face the storm of the century. You might say, friend, that the fierceness of the storm is in direct proportion to the height of the mountaintop. The greater we experience God's grace and provision... The stronger the storm that follows on the heels of that will be. 
And you know, as the old saying goes, there's three kinds of people in the world. There are those who are going into a trial and don't know it, those who are in a storm, and those who are coming out of a storm. You can find yourself in one of those three situations. But friend, based on what I've experienced and what the Bible teaches us, you can expect a storm to strike just after you've experienced a blessing of God. When we experience a blessing, brace yourself because you know there's a blasting coming. In fact, we've been seeing so, so many miraculous things and God do so many great things here at the church. I don't know whether you're talking about financially or spiritually or numerically. I mean, we are experiencing the move of God, the blessing of God. But somewhere in the back of my mind, I have this little voice that won't let me rest that won't let me completely rejoice because I know that just as soon as there's a blessing, there's got to be a storm somewhere coming in the near future. I'm not trying to be a glass half empty kind of guy. I just know I've walked enough with Jesus to see how these things work out. Now notice this, friends. God's tests never are random. Each one of them follows a specific schedule and a purpose. And if you actually study this passage in the other gospels you find out that Jesus wanted them to go into the boat and experience the storm for a reason in fact if you read this over in Mark's gospel Mark chapter 6 and verse 45 it says this immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd so look at this friend this storm was not incidental, it wasn't accidental, it was providential. The disciples were not there because they were out of the will of God. On the contrary, they were in the storm because they were doing the will of God. They were obeying Jesus' word and yet look at the situation that they were in. The friend, this is why you cannot always look at the circumstances of life and make a determination on God's will. Warren Wiersbe has said it well. He said, quote, The ease of a task doesn't mean that you are in the will of God, nor does the difficulty of a task mean that you are not in the will of God. You can be experiencing the greatest storm you've ever experienced in your life and be smack dab in the middle of where God has called you to be. Boy, that ain't popular preaching today. That won't preach in Joel Osteen's church, brother. And that won't preach in a lot of feel-good pep talk sermons. But that's the reality of the Christian life. See, I'm not trying to sell you something that isn't real. I'm trying to help equip you for the problems of life. Because the moment that we leave the doors of this church, there's storms waiting for you and me. And I want to equip you. I want to feed you today from the Word of God to help you to realize that, friend, you can be serving God, obeying God, experiencing the blessing of God, and yet at that same time, not far from it, be in a storm. It doesn't mean that God has turned His face against you. It doesn't mean that He loves you less. It doesn't mean that you're being punished. It's the fact that a storm is providential in your life and my life. You see, in the reality, the disciples were being tested in this moment. The feeding of the 5,000 was the lesson. But the storm was the examination to see if they actually learned anything. Listen to what Mark 6 and verse 52 says. Because Mark tells us 
that they didn't really learn much from the miracle. Listen, it says, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You see, friend, listen to me. It's easy to trust in the Lord when He's there on the land and when He's present. But what about when you're out at sea and He's absent? When He's not there, what do you do then? How do you pray then? How do you ride out the storms of life? You see, friend, it's been said that there are a few types of storms in the Christian life. There are storms of correction and storms of perfection and storms of connection. Which kind of storm were these guys in? Well, let me give you some examples. A storm of correction is needed when you disobey God and God then sends a storm to course correct you. The best example of this is Jonah from the Old Testament. God gave him a word. God gave him a command. Go to Nineveh and preach to those wicked people. And what did Jonah do? He turned tail and he ran the opposite direction. The Bible says he fled to Tarshish. And yet God was gracious to Jonah. God sent a storm and God sent a fish to get Jonah, the prodigal prophet, back on track and to spit him out there on dry land so that he could accomplish the mission that God had gave him. That's a storm of correction. And sometimes we need those. But this, friend, was a storm of perfection. In other words, Jesus was sending them into the storm to deepen and perfect the faith of the disciples so that they would learn something new about God that they couldn't learn any other way. You see, let me ask you a a candid question today. When have you learned the most enduring lessons in life? Is it when the sunshine is out and when there's clear skies? Or is it when the winds and the waves are roaring in your situation? You see, it's in the storm that God does some of His best instruction because it's in the storm that God finally has our attention. He's shaken our boat a little enough to help us to realize we're not as strong as we think we are. Our bank account can't protect us. Our doctor doesn't have the answer. Our government surely can't help us. And so when He shakes the boat in our life a little bit, we finally wake up and realize, hey, maybe there's something God is trying to teach me in all this. Psalm 4.1, David said this, Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. David said, look, I... Learn more about God when my soul is in distress rather than in times of peace and prosperity and goodness. You see, storms enlarge our faith muscles. And just like school, you ever take that test in school? Some of you kids are taking the test right now at the end of the year. The teacher is always silent during the test, right? And sometimes when you're going through that storm, it seems as if you can't hear from God because the winds and the waves are blowing so hard and God is silent and yet that's when the testing comes. So friend, listen to me. Your storms are not incidental. They're not accidental. They are providential. They are meant by God to test your faith, to refine your character, to teach you and I to trust God in a new and a different way. And a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And friend... We need storms. We need them or else we would have a shallow faith. I'm glad. Praise God I can say this. I'm not a glutton for punishment and I don't want to go through a hard time. 
But I'm thankful that I've been through enough storms that I've learned about the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God. And like Job, I can cry out, even though He slay me, yet will I serve Him. He's a good God when the sun is shining. He's a great God when the wind is blowing and the waves are over my head. I can still trust Him. And I'm thankful that I've been through enough of life that I can look back and say, my God got me through. My God was good. My God heard my cry. And oh, there were lessons that I gained from that that I still feed upon today. Amen. Forrest Zander was a missionary pilot in Peru, Ecuador, and also in Colombia. He spent 20 years as a missionary pilot for the Wycliffe Bible Translators, and he wrote a little book, amazing little book about his adventures there called His Faithfulness Reaches to the Skies. Well, Mr. Forrest Zander told of leading a landing there on a remote airstrip to deliver some supplies to some missionaries. And the landing strip was so muddy that when he landed, the plane axle for the wheels sunk into the mire. There was no way to, for him to take off. The Runway was short and it was nothing but a swampy, muddy mess. He looked up and he saw dark storm clouds coming. And you ever been in a situation where you only had time to offer a, a short prayer? I mean, you didn't have a chance to get real theological or beautiful or flowery in your language. Lord help, that's about all you could say. That's what Forrest Zander prayed. You saw these storm clouds about to bear down on his little airplane and his... He was sinking down into the mud. Lord, help! Here's what he said. As I lifted my head up from prayer, I saw a black rain cloud barreling toward me. As the storm approached and the wind began to blow hard, the most amazing thing happened. He said, The wind that blew provided lift to the wings, reducing the load on the landing gear. The wheels began to plow through the mud and aided by the strong stormy headwinds, my plane suddenly broke free from the mire and I was airborne. He said this, I learned how incredible it was in that moment that sometimes, listen, God uses storms to help us. God sent that storm at just the right moment when all I had was a wing and a prayer. And he said this, without the storm, I may have still be stuck in that jungle. But the storm at the right time provided the lift that he needed to get away. So listen to this. Number one, in storms we are growing by his providence. If you're in a storm today, if the winds and waves are over your head, if you're feeling like you are about to sink, praise God. Why? Because he's teaching you through that. He's growing you through that. Then look at this, number two. In storms, we are guided by his prayers. In storms, we're guided by his prayers. Look what verse 15 says. Notice this. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him away by force and make him king. Here it is. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. John tells us something very important here. That Jesus was on the mountaintop while his disciples were struggling to stay afloat there on the Sea of Galilee. If you read Matthew's account, it tells us that Jesus was there praying. Verse 23, Matthew 14, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. 
Now when evening came, he was alone there, the Bible says. If you keep reading a little bit further, Mark chapter 6, verse 48, the Bible says that Jesus could look down from where he was on the mountain praying and he could see the struggle of the disciples. Mark 6, 48, and he saw that they were making headway painfully and the wind was against them. Jesus is watching. He's praying from the mountain and he sees the turmoil. He sees through the winds and the waves and the storm. And in the torrent, their situation of the disciples in the boat had obscured their vision. Notice this. They couldn't see outside of the problems of their storm, but Jesus could see from his vantage point down and see what they were struggling with. And many times, friends, when we are trying to navigate a trial, it is so rough that in our storm, it's hard to see God. It's hard to make sense of left or right or God's presence or anything in our life. And we can lose sight of the fact that God hasn't lost sight of us. You see, while they were in the eye of the storm, Jesus had his eye on them. And don't you know that one of the items on Jesus' prayer list when he was up there in the mountain had to be that the disciples would grow in their faith through this experience. And friend, you and I can have the same confidence today. That no matter how dark our clouds are, no matter how deep the situation may be, no matter how over our head we may feel, that even though we're in the storm, God is still on His throne. And Christ not only knows where we are and what we're going through, the Bible says He's praying for us through the ordeal. Hebrews 7.25, listen to what it says. This is an amazing promise. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Praise God for that verse right there. That means that God knows, that God sees, that God cares, and that Jesus Christ is even interceding on your behalf and on my behalf. In the 1800s, there was this powerful Scottish preacher by the name of Robert Murray McShane. Here's what he said. I love this. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. And yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me and no one has the Father's ear like the Son. Isn't that a great quote? Friend, let me ask you a question. You ever come through one of life's storms? Whether it's financial or marital or medical, spiritual. And you come through the other side and you get to thinking about it. And you start to do some mathematics in your life and you say, you know what? This doesn't add up. I don't know how I made it through that. I don't know how I got the strength that I did to get through it. I don't know where the, how God met all the needs there. And oftentimes when we're putting a question mark and we're wondering as we come through the storm and we say, God, I don't know how you did it, but you brought me through. You know what I believe one of the answers to that is? You had somebody praying for you. You had somebody, you had the Son of God interceding on your behalf, praying for your faith not to fail, and giving you supernatural strength and answers just when you need it. You say, Pastor, that sounds outlandish. Well, that's just the Bible, friend. <laughs> we forget that we serve a supernatural God. 
who can come to you and, and seize your situation and provides for you the things that you need in the middle of that storm. You know, one of the most beloved hymns that we often sing is His Eyes on the Sparrow. You remember that old hymn? I think Miss Janice, she sings that from time to time and she does a wonderful job with it. But there's a great story behind how that hymn was written. It was The words to that uh, hymn was written by a lady pictured here named Sevilla Martin. Let me tell you how she came about to write the words to that hymn. The story goes that Sevilla was a teacher. And she moved into a new town to start a teaching position at a school. And it just so happened that her neighbors were Christians. But they weren't, just weren't any Christians. The couple that she befriended, their names were Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle. And as she got to meet them, she found out that they were these like super outspoken Christians, you know, who just aren't afraid of their faith. And the moment you meet them, man, they're going to tell you about Jesus. Well, she was not a Christian. And she met this couple, and she was so drawn to them because they were both in wheelchairs. They were both handicapped. And yet, as she looked into their lives, she saw these people are so joyful. These people have so much hope. These people are so kind and loving. And eventually, she went to church with them. And she came into the church and she was enveloped by the love of that pastor and the love of that congregation and she received Jesus Christ. Well, she ended up becoming friends with the Doolittles and she would help them do household chores and things that they couldn't do because of their handicap. And here's what happened. One day while helping them with chores, Sevilla asked Miss Doolittle, Ma'am, how is it that you and your husband have so much hope and so much joy when the dark clouds always hang over your head? Here's what the frail old lady in the wheelchair said. Miss Doolittle replied, My child, it's because God's eye is always on the sparrow and he watches me. And that immortal answer compelled Sevilla Martin to trust in Jesus and later it inspired her to write the words to that hymn that we love to sing. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. Friend, I don't know what your situation is here today, but there is a loving God. There is a sovereign Savior who looks down from eternity's peak and can see your struggle and can see your situation and He offers you hope. He offers you help. He offers you salvation and provision today. His name is Jesus. And in storms we are guided by His prayers. Somebody help me preach this today. Amen. Number three, I want you to see this. In storms we are graced by His presence. This is where it gets really good. Don't fall asleep on me yet. This is the best part of the passage. Verse 19 and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. If there's one thing that a storm will do, it will create within you a desire for the presence of God in your life. Listen to me, friend. When the sun is shining, when the bank account is full, when your kids are healthy and you don't have any prodigals, 
and there's not a cloud in sight, you know what? We don't seek God. You know why? I'm self-sufficient. I got all my problems taken care of. Lord, you can take the day off. I'm good without you. But, old friend, the moment that we enter into a storm and the bottom drops out of our life and we're shoveling out water as fast as we can, who's the first one we got on speed dial? Preacher, I know you had not heard from me in a while, but I need you to pray for me. Right? When the storm hits, all of a sudden, we want God again. And yet, when times are good, we keep Him at an arm's distance. Notice that Jesus did not come walking out to the disciples until it was the breaking point. It said in the text, they had rowed for three or four miles. These boys were give out. The ship is going down. And yet Jesus waits until the last possible moment. And they're utterly exhausted from rowing all night. You know God will let you wear yourself out. Somebody help me today. God will let you exhaust yourself trying to make it on your own. Trying to make it without Him. Trying to live without His Word. Trying to go a week or two without prayer or coming to the house of God. Somebody, hey, listen to me. God will let you wear yourself out till you get to the point of brokenness. Till you get to the point of contrition and humility. And you say, God, I can't do it no more. God, I, I can't make this life work on my own. I'm tired of shoveling out water. I'm tired of my kids going crazy. I don't have any answers from the doctor or from anybody else. Lord, will you come and find me? Amen? These storms will sap our strength and wear us down until we are forced to rely on Him. You didn't realize that God was all you need until God is all that you had. And this is one of those divine delays where Jesus waits because you and I know as long as there's an ounce of human will and strength left in the tank, there's always room for pride and for boasting and for self-sufficiency. And what a storm will do, it'll pin you down and it'll overwhelm you to the point to where Christ now has the opportunity to come and speak to you and offer you hope and offer you Help, because when it's all going down, hey Jesus, can you get on board and help me out with this? See how it works? I'm reminded of what the Holocaust survivor Corey Ten Boom once said. She said this, quote, When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. Amen? Amen. You can apply that same metaphor to a ship, a storm, and a captain. When things get rough, when the storm is taking you to school, you don't throw away your Bible. You don't throw away the church. You don't quit praying. You lean into God all that much more and you find He'll come to you. He'll meet you in your situation, in your storm. You see, friend, I say it all the time, but you really don't believe it until you've been in the storm. Some of you ain't been in the storm yet, but what you're going to find out is He's still an on-time God. And He comes to us in the storm, and we learn this, that real peace isn't the absence of problems. Real peace is the presence of Jesus Christ in my storm. 
I don't really need God to solve all my problems and magically snap His fingers and make everything hunky-dory. All I need is for Him to be there. And He will. And it's amazing how God will meet you in that. You see, we learn in the storm that when the waves are above our head, they're below His feet. We see in the storm that the thing that threatens our existence is the very path that brings God to us. Think about this. The very thing that threatened the lives of the disciples that was about to turn the boat over is the very means by which Jesus used to make an avenue across the Sea of Galilee right to them. The thing that you fear, the thing that you think is going to take your life, the thing that you think you can't survive is going to be the very avenue through which God comes across that stormy sea into the side of your boat and says, Now, <laughs> are you ready for my care? It's the path that brings God to us. And there we learn His true worth. Now, don't miss what Jesus said to them. This is so good. Don't turn your brain off yet. Listen to this. Notice what he said there in the text. Verse 20. It is I. Do not be afraid. You see that? I wish you could read it in the original Greek. You know what he really says there? Ego me. He said, Pastor, translate. Here's what that means. I am. That's literally what he says. I am. Fear not. It's exactly what the text says. I am, fear not. Do you know how much significance is in those two little words? I am. You read your Bible, huh? Exodus chapter 3. When Moses is speaking to the burning bush there on the side of Mount Sinai. And he asks the burning bush, who am I speaking to? And how does it answer? The I am has sent you, Moses. That's God's calling card. That's God's self-revealed name. I am the self-existent one, the eternal timeless one, the ever-present help in time of need. You know what's greater than having the storm cease? It's knowing that the I am is near. You see, the I am of yesterday's fishes and loaves is the I am of tomorrow's hope. And the same I am who speaks into the middle of your storm situation when the ship is sinking. I am. Hey, listen to me, child of God. His name is not I was. Because he doesn't live in yesterday's shame and yesterday's sins. His name is not I will be. Because he's not worried about cares and anxieties of tomorrow. Oh, but his name is I am. The ever-present help in a time of need. I love that story. I love the story that Tony Evans tells in one of his books. He said he was on a plane. And as they were making their way across the country in that plane, he said that the voice of the pilot came over the intercom. Brace yourself, passengers. We're about to enter into some turbulence. You talk about some foxhole prayers being uttered. There's no atheist suddenly in a turbulent plane. Amen. Well, he said that the plane ran into turbulence and people started to get uneasy. You could see panic coming over people's faces. And he said, but a couple of seats ahead of him, there was a little girl. 
And the little girl was just sitting there in her seat. She was perfectly composed, perfectly peaceful. And he said, even though people were losing their minds and there was panic on board and people were fearing the worst, this little girl sat there in her seat and she just colored and colored and was oblivious to all that was going on around her. And he said, one of the passengers sitting across the way spoke to the little girl and said, Sweetie, are you okay? Are you scared? Can we get anything for you? And the little girl just stopped coloring, looked over, and she said, yeah, I'm fine. Went back to her drawing. Passenger said, my, you are a brave girl. She said, I'm not worried. My daddy is the pilot. You see, child of God, that's what you and I can say. Uh, in times of distress, in times of trouble like which we are living through right now. Hey, I don't like the situation. I don't agree with the situation. I don't like what we're going through. But I don't fear. I'm not worried because I know the pilot. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the captain of this ship. He's got it all under control. And when things get stormy and my life gets sideways, I need to remember that I know the lifeguard and he walks on water. Number four, I want you to see this and I'm done. In storms, we are guarded by His power and graced by His presence. We are guarded by His power. Look at verse 20. Then He said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Verse 21. And then they were glad. Boy, that's an understatement of the Bible. <laughs> they were glad to take Him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now if you study this passage carefully, what you'll notice is that Jesus actually performed multiple miracles on this one occasion. Here they are. Number one, he walked on water. Number two, according to Matthew, Peter momentarily came out on the sea and walked with Jesus. That's in Matthew 14. Number three, according to Mark 6.51, when Jesus got in the boat, the storm suddenly ceased. And then number four, John says that the boat was instantly traversed the distance across the Sea of Galilee and made it to the destination on the other side. Four miracles all rolled up into one. And you know what ties this whole thing together? You see, before this ever happened, Jesus gave him a promise. You know what he said? He said, I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> Praise God for the promises of God. You see, even though they were facing the crisis of their life, there is no way that that ship was going to sink because Jesus had made them a promise and my God can't tell a lie. There was no way they were going to be deterred or waylaid in getting to the other side one way or the other. They were going to be guarded by His power. Now, He didn't say anything to the disciples about the storm in the middle. and That's what we need to remember about our lives. He says, in this world, you might. No. In this world, it's 50-50. No. In this world, you will face tribulation. But fear not, I have overcome the world. In this world, you will face a godless government. In this world you will face a sinful culture. In this world you will face financial hard times. In this world you will face cancer and suffering 
and sickness. In this world, you will face tribulation, but fear not, I've overcome. Christ has not promised us smooth sailing in this life, but He has promised us a safe landing on the other side. You know what I got to studying this week about storms? Everyone in the Bible who got caught in a storm made it to their destination. Do you know that? Noah and his family got in the ark and they spent over a year in the ark and yet they got out of the boat after a year later. Jonah, he made it to Nineveh, though he really did try and outrun God. He ended up seeing things God's way and he ran for God. Paul, he did get to Rome and so did all the 276 people on board. And he survived even though they were shipwrecked on Malta. And Jesus' disciples made it to the other side. He made it to the Sea of Galilee, to the other side. Our choir used to sing a song here. Some of you know it well. God said you're going to make it. God said you're going to make it. (laughs) Some of you need to be reminded of that today. God said you're going to make it. God said you're going to make it through this time of difficulty, this time of war, this time of struggle, this time of inflation, this time of problems and storms. God said you're going to make it. And if I have a promise from the captain who's never lost a single soul, I can trust in him. Hebrews 2.10 For it was fitting for him who, whom were all things and by whom all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. I'm going to finish with this. I love the way Adrian Rogers applies this passage. Let me read for you a few lines from his book. Here's what he said. Quote, One of these days very soon Christ is going to step down from his mountain. Not by the Sea of Galilee, but from His throne in glory. Just as walking on the water was child's play for Him, on that day Jesus will be stepping out on the clouds. As He comes to this world again, He's going to step out of heaven with victory in His stride and the glory of the great I Am. When the trumpet sounds, then our little ship will leave the sea of time and immediately we'll find ourselves on the shores of eternity. Praise God. There's two ways that you can face a storm in life. You can either face it with fear or you can face it with faith. That's the way you're going to face the next storm that you come to. Fear looks at the storm. Faith looks at the Savior. Fear looks at the sickness. Faith looks at the healer. Fear looks at the problem. But faith looks at the provider. Ron Mel told a story about a missionary lady who got on board a ship. This was hundred or so years ago. And as this lady was on the ship crossing the Atlantic, they ran into a terrible storm. On board this liner, there were several children, he said. The lady looked around. She was a woman that had the Spirit of God in her. She had peace and she had discernment. She saw the panic and the fear coming over people. She looked at the children who were on board and they were all very troubled. So this lady began to gather up the little children and she started telling them a story from the Bible. This lady was kind of a gifted storyteller. She kept the children captivated. She kept them quiet. 
after the ship made it through the storm, the word had traveled to the captain of what this lady had done. And the captain was making his rounds and he came to this gracious woman and he thanked her. He said, I, I want to thank you. I heard about your rapport with the children. I heard about that you were calm and you gathered them around and you, you kept them together through the storm. And the captain asked her, he said, ma'am, if you don't mind me asking, what was it about you that allowed you to keep your composure? How did you keep your cool when everybody else was in chaos? Here's what she said. She said, Captain, it's simple. She said, the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. He said, she said, and I have two daughters. One of them lives in New York, where we're going. And one of them lives in heaven. She said, I knew I would see one of them in a few hours. And it didn't make any difference to me which one. Amen. That's the difference of looking at it through faith versus fear. You see, when you know the captain and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then come what may, what storm may blow in through your life, you can sit back with calmness and peace and say, you know what, Lord, you've got this. And I trust you through it all.